The Start On Demand. On demand. Today on The Start, we continued the conversation that we started on Friday on men's mental health. It wasn't meant to be a conversation on Friday about men's mental health. We were just talking about times that our friends had our back, but the stories that Greg and I told ended up tying in directly with what Hal and Jim are doing for Movember, which is largely this month supporting men's mental health and suicide prevention. The U.S. land border has reopened to non-essential travelers. We head down to Emerson with Global's Corey Callahan, and we check in with Canada Border Services Agency. It's Monday. That means our weekly sports chat with Bob Irving. And speaking of that border reopening, we've got lots of great stories on problems at the border. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling, who is off this week, and Loren McNabb, who is back this week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, November 8th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is off this week. Loren is back. Hello there, Loren. Hello. I can't believe when you texted me last night and said, my plane doesn't land until late. I'm like, uh, what time did you get in? Uh, it was supposed to be 1226, which would have been bad enough, but then it wasn't till 1240 because we had to do some de-icing when we left Vancouver. And then, of course, you know, that worst part of any travel trip is people trying to get off the plane, which seems to just cause great confusion. And then, yeah, I walked in the door at 1.30 last night, was sleeping by 1.45, and, you know, I got a couple in, a couple hours in. Hold on, you landed at twelve forty, and yeah. you got home by, and you still got home by one thirty. Oh, I booked her for those officers not listening. <laughs> <laughs> Holy smokes! Did you did you have any checked baggage, or were you able to? Just- no, no, no. I just do carry on. If I'm doing, if it's just me and not the family, it's super easy now, right? Just to throw a bag together and shove it up in the bin, and it was a great. I had a great trip. It's nice to be back. I'm just tired, so I apologize for the next forty five minutes until like my eyes unglazed from whatever stuff is stuck in my brain right now. But it was great. You know what? I got to fly. It was like a brand new plane. And uh, it felt like a brand new plane anyway. And I realized, you know, like halfway through it, it was one of those Max Boeing 8 planes, like the new ones that had some of the trouble a few oh, years ago. Okay. But really nice plane. So if you can get aside... If you can get through that, you got some great TV options, some nice leather seats, a little bit more room. Oh. And uh, yeah, I don't know if it's more room for you, more room for me at five fake four. <laughs> five fake four, did you say? Yeah, five fake four. <laughs> it ain't a real five four, it's a five fake four. <laughs> uh, well, no, I mean, well, hey, if you, if you noticed there was a bit more room, there's probably a bit more room for me too. It's been years since I've been, I guess, how long has it been? Three years? 20? Probably. Oh, no, only a couple years. 2019. I went to uh, Vegas in 2019, I believe. The fall so. of 2019, I think you did, yeah? Yeah, in June. Okay. Yeah, it was June of 2019, I believe. So it was only I don't a couple know. of years. I don't know if there's more leg room. There's more head room if you're standing up. I was like, I even yelled out, like, check out this overhead space. And people are all looking at me. I'm just pumped just to be out. Like, <laughs> 
So, yeah, it was great. Good to see some family. Glad to be back. How are you? How was the weekend? I heard it was gorgeous here. The weather was spectacular this weekend. And no, if for anybody curious, no, I did not go golfing. Oh, you're kidding. No, I just, I, I'd already checked out. Like, there, I get to it because, like, when golf season is on, I'm a lunatic for it. I'm obsessed with it. I will stop at virtually nothing to get out and play. And usually I will be one of the last people playing golf in southern Manitoba. But... I'd already checked out because last weekend the weather was garbage. So I just sort of, even though the forecast was fabulous and it was like 14 or 15 degrees on Saturday, no wind, perfect. It was a perfect day for it. And there were a few courses that were open, but I just I just wanted to sleep in and relax. I went for a walk. I sat on my balcony in T-shirt and shorts in November, which is insane. Uh, so yeah, the weekend was relaxing for sure. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that particularly as I was in Vancouver and it rained the entire time to know that we were near record-breaking temperatures in Manitoba. It's always the worst when you go away. You're like, you're happy to be away, but then you dare hear from someone from back home. You're like, no, you're not allowed to have good times while I'm having good times. That's not how this works. (laughs) Well, and it's especially, it's a stark contrast. Yesterday's weather, when you look at 35 years ago yesterday and today, we had, as Rob Zobbs pointed out on Twitter, the great blizzard of November 7th and 8th, 1986. It was a major Colorado low storm. It moved in late afternoon on the 7th and blasted the area for the next 36 hours. 35 centimeters of snow in Winnipeg and 90 kilometer an hour wind. Uh, wow. 35 years, Loren. I feel like, you know, you and I would both be eight. Yeah, grade three. Yeah. So I feel like this is the blizzard that stands out to me as the one that defined what a blizzard really was because when you're little and you wake up to drifts that are that felt like mount like mountains mm-hmm. then you're then no other blizzard compares properly to that henceforth right but i'm sure i know we had other snowstorms like this i think it's just the time that it came like within 11 hours like over a, well, 35 centimeters is a heck of a lot of snow yeah and i think it's the only snow day i ever had in school because i'm in the city uh, so, right. you know, I mean, I wasn't that far from my school, uh, but yeah, that was, they actually shut down uh, for that one. So uh, because by the time the, the one happened in the late 90s, I was already in university. So that was different. But uh, yeah, that was a big one. I remember looking, sitting in the front, looking out the window, just completely awestruck at what I was looking at. Uh, just all that snow that just sort of magically appeared. And I, I rem- now I remember sitting and watching it happen. Just thinking, I was—I thought it was the coolest thing ever, but I'm, I think I rem- remember my parents being stressed out about it because they were grown-ups, right? They had to <laughs> they take had to care be of you. Are we going to be able to get out of the house? No, and there's all those images from then of people using snowmobiles in downtown Winnipeg to get across and co- cross-country skis on people's backs and all sorts of stuff. So, man, I bet you listeners have memories. If you do, send them to us, 780-6868. Hard to believe last... 48 hours were so beautiful when that was the case decades ago with that blizzard. So I, uh, pretty tremendous stuff. And, you know, as we talk about ways we've been getting about this past weekend and what we got up to, today's the day, Brett. We've been hearing it in the news. If you really want to, you can get to Grand Forks today and do your thing. Do some cross-border shopping. That's right. The border has reopened to non-essential travelers. And uh, one of the cool things about Grand Forks as well, because I know a lot of people are hesitant to go to the States just because they don't want to pay that for that PCR test to get back in. But uh, free PCR tests are being made available to Canadians in Grand Forks. So that's kind of cool because that'll save you 
up to, you know, depending on where, like you hear two, $300 cost. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to Grand Forks only to, to do some shopping or whatever and then have to spend two to $300 to get back in. I love our neighbors, but there is nothing in that city that is making me say to myself, let's add two to $300 on this cost. So yeah, we'll have more on the border reopening with the uh, Canadian Border Services at 8 and after 6.30. Corey's at Emerson. I'm curious if he's actually seen cars making their way or getting ready to do a little trip down south or if it'll be status quo for a bit until people, you know, get more comfortable with the idea. We want you to tell us a story about taking a road trip to the U.S. And you can take it wherever you want to go with it, whether it was a problem that you had getting through customs. You ever been searched? Uh, Maybe you had a misadventure on your way to your destination or you had some lousy accommodations or you found this really cool restaurant or you did something really cool. Like when we were driving home from Wisconsin like 10 years ago, my then girlfriend says, hey, let's stop at this cave. I'm like, what? We went into a cave, and it was really cool, and I still have this cute little bat uh, keychain. So tell us a story for a chance to win the mystery prize. And, Loren, uh, let's start with you. Well, I'm the worst at borders. Like, I get very, very nervous, and so I just, even crossing them, I don't, like, I can't make eye contact, and I don't know what to do. My (laughs) husband's always like, just stop, just let me do the talking. Like, as if I am a criminal, I'll do the talking here. You just sit quietly. So I'm terrible for it, but one of the stories that always stands out is that years ago, I want to say 15 years ago, I was sent to California for a story, and this is when I was with Global Winnipeg, and my then, well, my now boss was then a producer and camera person, he came with me, and we decided after our work was done, we were going to drive to Tijuana, going to go to San Diego, go to Tijuana, and I don't know if anyone's ever crossed down there, and this is embellished in my mind now, I don't know how true this would be in the moment. But, you know, as you approach the border, I said, well, we'll get to the border. We'll pull over and we can walk across. Like, so you get close and there's signs saying you're soon to be entering Mexico. You're soon to be entering Mexico. There's like helicopters flying overhead. You know, it's a pretty busy, contentious border at sometimes. Dogs, like all sorts of things. And also I just look around and I'm like just seeing more Mexicans. And I'm like, are we in Mexico? Like, did we just miss the border? And sure enough, we're now in Tijuana and we're in this like rental car and we're like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Like, are we allowed to be here? We didn't get nothing with stamps. Like, I don't even know. So we get out of the car and we walk towards like this little festival area with lots of crafts and food. And we look at each other and I was like, I can't do this, man. Like, we got to go. We got to go back to the car. Something just isn't right. And we turn around to go back. And as we're getting back to the United States, we have, of course, now we're stopped. Suddenly there's just a border appears that we missed. Like, I don't even know how this happened. And the guy's guy's like looking at her passports he's like you didn't get how'd you get in there i was like we just got in and now we just want to get out and you know it was like this whole big thing he's like you didn't see the helicopters no you didn't you, the dogs didn't alert you to anything no you didn't see the signs that said please pull over i was like no we just we're in mexico we'd like to get out of mexico please and that's it that's my border story and now i feel like every time I, I think that's what's done it to me because now wherever i cross into the states i want to physically be told by someone Welcome to America or welcome to Mexico or welcome to Switzerland, wherever you're going, because that sent me into a full panic. Jeff Braun. About 20 years ago, I was on this, it was this, uh, I don't even know what the backstory of this is, but I ended up on a plane with a bunch of other CJOB staff and we were going to Vegas for one night and we get to the airport and the customs guy, I'm like, Loren, I get 
I just uh, mush mouth at the border crossing. <laughs> I'm so nervous with these guys because I think, oh, my God, if I say one thing out of place, they'll right. just throw me in jail. So the guy goes, where are you headed? I said, Las Vegas. He goes, business or pleasure? And I was just like, uh, well, I'm going with colleagues from work, but I hope to have a lot of fun. So both? <laughs> and he just stared at me like I had a third eye or something like that. And he's like, so Vegas for pleasure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was really embarrassing. But, Boy, uh, yeah, so that was it. Boy, just. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not so sure, Loren. I mean, I crossed uh, like in McCallum, Texas there. My grandparents used to have a place. And uh, there was the when we passed into Mexico, they were just walking across. There was just a couple of guards sitting on a bench. And they were just kind of waving at us as we walked there. by. So I don't know how, uh, you know, extensive the security is there. But I'm like a fiend for chicken fried steak. And it's like my favorite part about yeah. the American road trips. I don't eat it at any other time except for when I'm on a road trip and I, I'm, I'm, I pull like a once upon a time in Mexico where I'm trying to figure out what the best pork and rice dish is. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where the best chicken fried steak is because I am I just absolutely love it and it's like a staple. And the best I had so far was at a Greasy Spoon in Texas. I, you know, based on the cleanliness of the restaurant, I'm not sure I wanted to see the kitchen, but I guess it just mwah, added to the the spice and the, the the little bit of chicory that was in it because it was the best. This just gross little dump in in Texas, but man, it was good. Chicken, What's fried, chicken steak? fried steak. Sorry, am I going to derail it, this? It's, now? I, no, I don't even it's, know what you mean. It's like the cheapest cut of beef you could possibly get, pounded okay. until tender, and then they fry it like a piece of like uh like like fried chicken. Yeah, and the gravy yeah. is is the, the white awesome. gravy. Yeah, that sausage white gravy. Oh. Oh, that's the that's oh god, I'm my mouth watering. I'm with I'm with you, Cam. I love that stuff. Uh, Abra, we got what about you? Sounds gross. That um, it's not. I took a drive down to the states to uh, to do the Vegas thing with a couple friends, and we're driving through, I guess South Dakota. And are, are people familiar with the uh, Sturgis motorcycle rally? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I was not. and it just so happens we're driving through south dakota at the exact time of this sturgis motorcycle rally and we're on the highway and suddenly we're just like there's a lot of motorcycles on the highway (laughs) and we had not booked a hotel we should have because of the sturgis motorcycle rally (laughs) and it got to nighttime you know we were planning on just spending one night but uh, every single hotel in the entire state i'm not kidding you was booked up for people at this rally and so we could not get a hotel room. So we ultimately ended up sleeping in the car that night. Uh, and I think I got one hour of sleep. Oh, boy. And I was driving. And I was doing most of the driving. And so uh, the next day, yeah, I was basically driving on one hour of sleep for the rest of the day. Got to Vegas. And, you know, we got to Vegas probably at about 7 p.m. And, you know, you get to Vegas. You want to do Vegas. Well, I went right to bed. boy. <laughs> yeah, because okay. that's what you want to do when you go to Vegas is to go there with no sleep already. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling's on vacation this week, and maybe you want to take a vacation to the U.S., the land border, now open to non-essential travelers, and we're asking you at 204-780-6868 to tell us a story about taking a road trip to cross the border, and it could be any kind of story you want, problems at the border, something cool you did while you were there, like when I, I mentioned the cave, it was called Crystal Cave, by the way, in Wisconsin, if you're curious. I even have a shot glass, Loren, with a bat in it. Mm. It's, it's cute little shot glass. Uh, but uh, we're getting some great stories already at 204-780-6868. The shot glass is better than the world's largest ball of yarn that I took the kids to a few <laughs> years ago in Minnesota, that they just 
did not mm. find as it wasn't great, but it was funny. Okay. Listener texted to say about 30 years ago, I was crossing the border with my mom, dad, and two younger brothers. As young kids sometimes do on road trips, we were fighting and crying in our van by the time we got to the border. The border guard to get back into Canada asks my dad, is there anything you left in the United States? My dad says, no, but I'd like to leave these kids. Well, that was not funny to the border guard. We got pulled over and fully searched. LOL. See, that's the kind of thing I'd say at the border that I think is funny. And then next thing you know, three hours later, this guy thinks you're up to no good. (laughs) Keep those stories coming for a chance to win. The mystery prize. We're making an announcement at 9.05 on the prize that we will be giving away at 9.15, based on your text messages. But right now, we want to continue and expand the conversation we started Friday. Uh, We just briefly alluded to it at 6.37 today. Men's mental health. So on Friday, we were talking about times that friends had our backs. Greg talked about how he was battling depression, and one day his friends came over, dragged him out golfing. They took care of him, showed him a good time. I told the story about how this past summer, I was able to tell my friends about how a couple of years ago, Um, I was dealing with some darkness and how much it meant to me to be able to discuss it with them without feeling ashamed. So if you want to hear those stories, you can find them in the audio vault at cjob.com. Greg's was at uh, 6.54 on Friday. Mine was at 7.16. Or you can hear them in the podcast for the start. And it's so great that you did share them because every single listener has written to say what those conversations meant to start conversations in their own home, Brett. And that's where we want to take this because uh, November is also Movember. So when guys grow mustaches to raise funds and awareness for men's health issues. And as it turns out, one of the primary focuses this year is mental health and suicide prevention. And our very own Jim Toth and Hal Anderson are going head to head to see who can grow the better mo. Jim Toth joins us now. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. I'm happy you're back from vacation. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I, and I, I was watching this kind of battle out on Twitter. I think it's so great you guys are doing this, but I, I'm curious. I don't really know the answer. Why is this so important to you, Jim? Well, I think it's much like the battle against cancer, which how November started that we've all been affected by it. And unfortunately, I can go back to my uh, high school days working at a grocery store at a really good friend. And uh, that summer just wasn't around anymore. And he had committed suicide. And it goes from there. There's somebody I went to high school with and um, I, I was part of the CGOB covering the Manitoba Moose, and, and I remember doing the playoffs and, and looking down the bench and seeing Rick Rippin there and, and just coming back from why his quote-unquote leave of absence with the league and talking with Rick and joking with Rick because he was behind the bench because he was injured and he was helping coach. And I just remember thinking that last game going, man, I, I think Rick's going to be okay. And then, of course, by the end of the summer, he was not. Um, so those things really affect me, and I think it's much like uh, how cancer affects everybody. It sticks with you, and, and it bothers you. And then even, I think it was two, maybe three years ago now, uh, another friend I went to high school with and played basketball with and, and hadn't seen in a while, and he was a pharmacist. Um, and he knew that he had depression problems. And, and being in the medical industry, he would often take leave of absence from work where he was a pharmacist and admit himself um, to the hospital to get help. And the last time he just checked himself out, and then he literally checked himself out. So these are all stories that affect me. These are all stories that, that bother me. And it's even a little hard talking with you today about it because as I'm vocalizing it, it, it takes me back to, to how much I miss those people in my life. So um, it's just important. It's it's valuable for, for everybody to have those conversations. And much like I was listening on Friday and had no idea about Brett and um, you know, I golf with Brett if I can. I grab a beer if I can, but I haven't talked to him in a couple of years just because of our lives on different schedules and everything like that. But 
it, it just affects you and, and you want to make a difference and you want to help people. And I think what Brent was saying is just something that, like, I, I never have these conversations. And, and I think those are the important things that Movember does is it starts them. How important is friendship, uh, Jim, to you for mental health? I mean, you know, you're, you've got a young family and that's great, but do you still have time? Are you able to make time for friends? Well, you know what? It's funny, uh, Brent, because with the young family and COVID, I, I don't do very much. I don't go to bomber games with my pals. I don't do much like that, but I try to stay in touch with them. But it's never enough. You know, this summer, uh, some of us got together um, and do that. But friendships are huge to me, and, and I get told all the time how I'm a little bit weird because I'm still friends with with everybody I went to school with. And I, and I don't mean like high school. I mean like guys that I started elementary school with. There's about eight or nine of us that keep in touch and always have throughout our lives. Um, so they're very important. And you know what, Brent, I think what maybe you were surprised with is that that's a thing. 99% of the time with your friends, you talk about everything except for something like this, and you don't really hear about that stuff. And I think what's important here and what you were doing and, and what I think Movember Helps does is it's important to talk about that 1% too, about everything else on how you're feeling, how you're doing. So throughout this, I, I've, I've reacquainted myself with a lot of buddies during the pandemic that I haven't been able to see or when I travel home to, to catch up with them. And it's funny because we talk now more on text than ever, but just check in, see how you're doing. And a lot of my friends are bachelors still and living on their own. And, and, and that's, I think, important to them, just those conversations. And they tell me that, that, you know, it's great to hear from you yesterday and, and just have those conversations. So I think during the pandemic, it's more important than ever. But yeah, friendships are key to me. I mean, I'm I'm big on my friends, and I've been very fortunate to have such loyal ones that I've had them for most of my life, and if not my entire life. So um, it, it's all part of it. And, and when you have these kind of friendships, even even if you, if you have average friendships, which I don't know what an average friendship is. Maybe that's me and McNabb. Are we average? I don't know, but I think we're more <laughs> than that. But it's we're just more people, than that. It's just people that you work with, people that you know. And, and if you see somebody down, it's no longer, oh, I see you're having a bad day. I'll talk to you tomorrow, whatever. It's no like, are you having a bad day and are you okay? I think that's key. You have to ask how people are doing. And then you also, when you get asked that question, maybe we all could work to be a little bit more honest. Uh, in the meantime, Jim, we just have 30 seconds here. You're doing great things with your uh, Movember campaign uh, and going toe-to-toe with Hal. How do we track your progress? How can we donate? You can go to Movember.com, and there's a CJOB page. You can go to Hal Anderson's page, my page, and we've got a listener that's jumped on board with us. And then, of course, Paul, Paul Edmonds of the Jets, play-by-play Jamie Thomas of the, the analyst. He's on board. So you just go to Movember and donate to anybody you want. But our page is at the 680 CJOB page, and you can just click the link to donate, and it all goes to the great cause of Movember. And I think we look quite dashing while we do it, so you can too. And Jim, you have raised over $21,000 over the years for Movember, so we salute you for everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us this morning uh, today and being so candid with your comments. We appreciate it, sir. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, Loren, once again, welcome back. Flapper pie on the weekend? I'll leave on that. Goodbye. (laughs) You got it, buddy. Thank you for this. McGarry and McNabb mackling on vacation this week after Loren got back after midnight last night. Uh, I don't know how you're still awake, Loren, but uh, good for you. How are you feeling, by the way? Oh, just dandy. Just great. <laughs> feel like this is my new thing. Go to bed at 1.30, get up an hour later kind of thing, you know? <laughs> Sounds entirely <laughs> healthy. <laughs> yeah. I'll be sleeping by 10.05. Do not call me. Okay. I, don't worry. I, I need a nap, too, because I stayed up late to watch uh, yes, the new Dexter. Yes, how come? I wanted to watch Dexter New Blood. 
See, I didn't know there was a new one. I got that text from you last night, and I was just thought maybe you were like on a binge, old Dexter binge. Yeah, no, the new Dexter debuted last night, so I had to stay up and watch it. Yeah, it was it was enough. not bad. It was okay. It was I think it would have been wasn't quite worth staying up for, but whatever. Um, we're asking you to tell us stories about. Hitting the road, crossing the border, and it uh, could be any story you want, whether it was problems at the border, something cool you did while you were down there, or some sort of misadventure you had while you were on the road. And Brenda, this is interesting, because I didn't know this was even a thing that you had to watch out for, but Brenda says, my sister and me, we were on a road trip home from Boston. We had recently moved into our just-built house, and my folks smuggled two small trees from my uncle's place for landscaping. We had a turquoise blue Ford station wagon. Um, They fashioned beds for us for overnight driving, and they buried the trees on each side and then planned to cross the border as late as possible, so we were asleep, and it worked. And Brenda says, I miss my my badass folks. I miss them madly. I didn't know that was a thing, that you had, like, certain vegetation, I guess. Oh, yeah. There's lots of things you can't bring back and forth, and they're really serious about it. Like, it's a crime because depending on the diseases that plant might be, bring or it's not allowed in that country. I've been to – I used to bring lunches on the plane for the kids, uh, and I remember landing in, I think it was Mexico, and just completely being surrounded by, like, bomb-sniffing dogs or drug-sniffing dogs, and it was because I had strawberries in the backpack that they made me toss before – we continued on because they just they did not want them there. Oh and wow! There's quite a few things like they, like they're they're very. You might get more as much trouble in that as something else. So yeah, you got to be weary. You can't just be bringing trees, Brenda. Brenda, I love the story. But you can't just be bringing trees across the border. <laughs> Pretty crafty on their part, though, the way that they were able to get the, the yeah. trees through. Uh, so keep those stories coming for a chance to win the mystery prize. We'll give those away just after 9.15. We announced the prize at 9.05. And we'll have more on the border at 8.05 when we speak to Canada Border Services Agency. But uh, on the subject of travel, Loren, you just got back. And I guess, like, the... Did you have to apply for that, uh, what are they, the pan-Canadian vaccine credit thing? Well, I applied for it because the rules that were kicking into effect for domestic travel were that as of October 31st, you had to have proof of vaccine for travel within Canada if you were boarding a plane or a train. And so, yeah, I have my Manitoba card and I have my ID, of course. And then I went online, super simple process, and got the printout version, the PDF uh, the pan-Canadian passport that also lists, and just the, very similar to Manitoba's, lists the two vaccines I've had, has a QR code as well, and uh, was not once asked to show it at the airport. And so I'm just curious about the process here, because after eight, as you mentioned, Brett, we're going to talk about land border crossing and the border being open. And are they going to ask every single time I cross into the States or come back for proof of vaccination or Will that process be spot checks? And when I got to the airport, I thought for sure I was going to have to show that piece of paper. And the only time I was asked about it, both in Winnipeg and in Vancouver, is when I got to the Air Canada kiosk and typed in my, you know, um, boarding reference. And then at one point it asked the question, uh, are, do you have a COVID-19 vaccine? You know, letting me know that this is part of the requirement. So you either had to select, yes, I'm fully vaccinated or the other option was I fall under one of the exempt categories or I intend to get a test. And so I just assume that they put those rules into effect because, you know, like I got to show my boarding pass both at security and again at the gate. How hard would it be to also show that vaccine code and have that be part of the, st- the process? Well, it's not. And so then I re- reached out to the Winnipeg Airport Authority and just said, 
curious if this is an airline issue. Is it the authorities issue? And their response to me that actually it falls under federal regulations. And according to federal regulations, they're basically um, deciding to do this when they feel it's necessary, meaning it's not mandatory. And I was a little bit thrown by that. Like I can't go to the rink once <laughs> at all in my community without having to show my QR code. And so sometimes I'm showing it four or five, six times a week just to get into the rec facility mm-hmm. where I'm just dropping off a kid. And then here you are on this plane with, you know, 200, 300 people in, let's not pretend it's spacious quarters. This is close quarters. And yeah, sure. It, it feels like it's just still the honor system. So it's more like a spot check that they might do. But I really thought the whole point was that would be what I'd have to show in addition to, you know, license, passport, boarding pass. I wonder if it's just a timing thing, like they just don't have time to add that to the screening process because, you know, they, they have to run such sure. a tight ship with these planes and there are severe costs uh, to getting a plane off the ground late. Uh, maybe that's what it has to do with. I don't know. But yeah, you'd you'd think that that would be the most strict of places is traveling. Like you mentioned, uh, you mentioned your rec facility. Any restaurant I've been to, every single person that goes through the door uh, unless they know you, like when I go to the King's Head on Friday, they know that I mm-hmm. am double vaccinated because I was in line with the owner <laughs> when he was getting his second shot. I was about 15 people behind him. Um, so he knows I'm vaxxed, but they have already taken my record officially. They they pulled out their, their phone and scanned my card, so they know that. But if they don't recognize the person coming through the door, they're checking every single right. person. Uh, and then to go, when you told me that you, they, no one asked you while you were traveling, I thought, what? Yeah, I just thought that was going to be part of it. I'm not saying I'm upset about it. I'm confused as to the process. And so, yeah, I'd like to think people are booking a 300 500 900 $1,200 flight in hopes that they don't get asked, right? You know, if you're just going to check that box and say, no, no, I don't have any, I, I have, I, I have my vaccine and lie about it. I suppose that's the way you could get, get away with it. And, and they might still do a spot check and you might get caught that way. I just thought, you know, look, like I get that they're busy, but I show my boarding pass. They have to scan it. Sometimes they're taking a temperature check as well, depending, you know, they do that spot check. And then you, you sometimes get pulled aside to have your bag searched. So somewhere along the way, I didn't see anyone, not one person in any line going either direction, having to pull out that vaccine card. And so I just thought that was unusual. And I, I do have some more questions about it. In addition to the fact that when we bring Canada Border Service Agency on in about 20 minutes, I'd like to know, well, then is that the same case coming back into Canada? Have the piece of paper handy just in case you get asked for it. But are you automatically going to be asked for it? That's one of my questions. You can let us know if you've had a similar experience, 204-780-6868. And Loren, for those who maybe are getting ready to travel somewhere in Canada, but they they haven't gotten the, the full Canadian vaccine passport yet, what's the, the process? Where do I go for that? I just, to be honest, I wouldn't be able to tell you the website, but if you type in Pan-Canadian Passport, yeah. uh, it just says, how do you get it? It goes right to a Government of Canada website. You click how to get proof, and then it tells you to click your territory, you know, like Manitoba, New Brunswick, wherever you are. You go and then you you click get the proof of vaccination and then um, you can request a card that might come. But in the meantime, you go to the right hand corner and you can get this little um, printout. It's it's pretty simple. OK, it requires you. It's not government websites are never amazing. Let's no. be honest. But so it requires a little bit. Hang on. Which button am I clicking here? <laughs> but once I found it and printed it out, no issue at all. And it did help me in B.C. because my card on my. BC or my Manitoba card wouldn't scan for some reason at one of the restaurants we tried to go to. It just didn't work. And so then I had that piece of paper to back it up.
McGarry and McNabb mackling on vacation. Less than two weeks have passed since a longtime employee at the Seven Oaks Hospital was assaulted while on the job, Loren. Yeah, and Brett, as we later learn, police believe that serious assault was connected to two homicides with police charging the suspect with the death of his mom, his dad, and then, of course, with the assault on a hospital employee. And so we wanted to check in now to see how everyone at SAC of Seven Oaks and throughout the healthcare system is doing. Mike Nader is the president and CEO of the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. Good morning, Mike. Morning, Loren. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And I know it's been a challenging, it's not just the past couple of weeks, it's been a challenging year and a half for many. And, and before we get into just how staff are doing, is there any further update just on the employee who was hurt in this incident that you might be able to provide? Well, our, our colleague is doing better. Uh, I really uh, you know, don't want to share too much information just to protect her privacy, but um, she is an extraordinary woman. She's so, showing um, extraordinary resilience, and um, uh, she is doing better, and we're very pleased about um, her progress. So just hours after this horrific assault happened, you joined us on the start to share just how challenging life in hospital has been in recent months. What are staff members telling you now about some of the abuse that they're receiving while just trying to do their jobs? Yeah, I, I've been communicating with our staff, uh, both both personally going on to the units and communicating with them over email. And they are uh, really raising concerns about circumstances of of really uh, disrespectful and abusive behavior directed at them, especially lately. It's and it's all types of abuse, things like a verbal attack, pushing, um, you know, protests outside of the facilities, and and being intimidated. And we've also had circumstances where um, you know individuals have come into the facilities, recording our staff without their permission. And it's um, you know it's it's really unfair. It's heartbreaking, and um, you know, frankly, it it really makes me mad. Those are recent incidents, Mike, in terms of you just mentioned that recording. I know that that was happening in the early days, so to speak, of the pandemic. And it, has it ever gone away or it's sort of reemerging as something new that you're seeing at the hospitals? I, I don't know that it's gone away. It's uh, reemerging. We've seen um, some videos that have uh, gone online. And, um, you know, when we started with the pandemic, you know, it was amazing the response that we received from the community with people banging their pots and pans and doing tri- tribute drive-bys, bringing in food and treats into the hospital. And, um, you know, people are, are angry and they're frustrated after 18 months of, of dealing with the pandemic. But I, I don't think that, um, you know, people really understand uh, the challenges that our, our healthcare workers um, are, are undertaking and just the emotional toll uh, that they are having to deal with. Uh, they're worried about, you know, being infected themselves. They're worried about bringing infection home. Um, you know, they're dealing with such emotional uh, challenges. And these are the same people that have been, uh, you know, holding iPads so families could say goodbye to their loved ones in the early days of the pandemic. And, you know, the emotional toll that uh, staff have faced behind closed doors out of the the public eye, you know, they've been scared and and they've been crying and comforting one another. Uh, But really what we need um, is for the vast majority of our community, because this is a minority of people, we need that vast majority to to make their voices heard, uh, to show the the respect and, and the admiration for the great work that our healthcare workers are undertaking.
And you talk about the uh, the verbal abuse that uh, their that your staff are dealing with, uh, even in the best of times before the pandemic. You know, I would imagine that a lot of hospital staff would be subject to abuse, whether it's from frustrated family or perhaps patients who are agitated for for whatever reason, if they're in distress or what have you. Uh, so then, to to add this extra layer um, has has to be uh, just super frustrating. Well, it's, it's very hard. You know, we, we see people at um, the most joyous moments in their lives, as, you know, it was for me when my, my children were born, and, and at the saddest moments of their lives when their loved ones are, are passing away. And, and we know that it's difficult and, and emotions are raw and, and frayed, uh, and particularly over the last 18 months. You know, people are really tired of this pandemic. We're tired of COVID. We want it to be over with. Um, but you know what? What our our staff really deserve is respect, compassion, uh, patience, and and admiration. Uh, and I can't stress that enough in terms of how much we should be admiring our healthcare workers. And it's every healthcare worker. It's not just our doctors and nurses. It's the housekeepers that are having to go in and clean. It's the food service workers and the porters. It's every member who comes today, just showing such compassion for the people that they're caring for. Just have about 30 seconds left here, unfortunately, Mike, but I did want to ask, you know, given that your your staff are feeling like they're seeing more of this abuse, be it verbal or physical, is there another layer of security that might need to be added to hospitals or are they are staff asking for something to be done to address this besides asking people for their patients? Because we know, unfortunately, that will only take us so far. Yeah, I mean, every day we conduct risk assessments and, um, you know, we have added uh, additional security, for example, at Seven Oaks. Uh, really to to support our staff moving forward. Uh, But I I think I said once before, you know, we really need to reflect on what kind of society we want to have. Um, And hospitals are places of of wellness and and healing. Um, And I I don't know about you, but I I don't feel um, very well or or healing when I'm having to go through security checkpoints at the airport. Um, And so we just have to be very, very cautious. But we are absolutely listening to our staff and adding resources where they need to be added. Mike Nader, President and CEO of the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mike, thank you very much for this. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Take care. Mackling McGarry McNabb. Mackling's on vacation. Reminder that we have a mystery announcement at 9.05. We've got to tell you about a show that's coming to Winnipeg, and we've got tickets to give away based on your text messages of road trip stories. Could be a border story. Could be something that happened to you while on this trip. But, hey, Loren McNabb and her eagle eyes spotted a really cool email from Two North Sports and Entertainment about something else that's coming to Winnipeg. Yeah, and I think there's going to be so many people that are pumped by this. I, I quite frankly don't know exactly what I'm reading, but <laughs> WWE Friday Night SmackDown is coming to Canada Life Center January 21st. Tickets go on sale next Friday at 10 a.m. I know that's wrestling. Yeah. I know the SmackDown is fun, and I know that you like it. Yeah, it's cool <laughs> well, because Winnipeg often gets what they call a house show right. um, because Winnipeg is sort of this – because they're always on the road, but in order to come to Winnipeg, uh, it's very rare that we get the TV shows because uh, they end up having to do like
like Raw and sometimes they did once did Raw and SmackDown back to back in Winnipeg. So to get a TV show, like a live show, that's very, very exciting. The WWE puts on an awesome killer show. They've been doing like, you know, the Jets, they've got their fancy projection stuff. WWE has been doing cool stuff like that for 25 years. Uh, So this is really cool. I think I might have to go to this because I the last event I went to before the pandemic was Raw. Uh, was Monday Night Raw at uh, the, the arena. So I might have to check this out, Loren. That's super exciting. I might have to go, too. This looks fun. It says it's it's been 17 years since it was held in the Winnipeg Arena, the SmackDown, a SmackDown, the SmackDown, all the SmackDowns. So, that's right. Uh, it was at the old barn. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. Cool. Thanks for spotting that. That's great stuff. Um, but in the meantime, we got to continue to talk about the border because the U.S. land border now open to non-essential travelers. Yeah, but before you make that trip, there is, of course, we know a lot to consider. Lisa Laurent-Salpice is the Acting Executive Director with the Canada Border Services Agency for the Prairie Region. And our guest this morning, hi, Lisa. Good morning. We know there'll be different lineups at different crossings, depending on where you're at in Canada. What were your staff told to prepare for when it comes to just maybe Canadians crossing at Emerson and, and in some of the Prairie Points? So just uh, preparing for um, travelers heading south and returning to Canada, um, our officers are ready to um, do those verifications of um, the PCR uh, verification, the vaccine verification, and the ArriveCan app verification. So quite a few things that our officers are going to have to take a look at when you're returning to Canada. Going into the U.S., what's needed? So in terms of uh, the U.S. entry requirements, um, those uh, can be uh, checked with uh, the U.S. um, um, Customs and Border Patrol. Um, The entry requirements for those that are heading to the U.S. and returning to Canada um, is uh, what what we can speak to this morning. So let's talk about that then, because you mentioned that's a lot of things for your staff to consider. And I'm curious, before we get into what they have to consider, I mean, is there part... Is there some excitement today? It's been a long time and you haven't, business hasn't been as usual at that border. And now you're getting back to what you're supposed to be doing, albeit with a lot more checks, Lisa. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Lots of excitement, uh, certainly lots of energy around uh, getting back to business. Um, We've, uh, our officers have been working throughout the pandemic, but it's especially, um, you know, especially in this time with the U.S. reopening, our officers are ready um, to, re- to receive and, and welcome uh, those back to Canada. Uh, is there a quarantine requirement for travelers, like say kids who aren't vaccinated upon returning to Canada? So quarantine plans are still, uh, a quarantine plan is still required um, in, in the event that testing um, takes place. So there's still going to be a random mandatory testing at the border. And so travelers will need to be ready uh, with a quarantine plan and in the event that they have to fall back on that. Right, because they might do that test as required and then it comes back positive and therefore they'd have to figure out a way to deal with that until they get another test. Is there like a... a, a a, del- a time requirement, Lisa? So that's uh, correct. So if the, upon entry, if um, someone uh, does test positive, um, they will have to uh, quarantine based on their quarantine plan. And uh, the testing requirements uh, will, will be determined by the public health agency. 
I had one more question too about the vaccine proof and I had mentioned and I, and I understand these are different regulations here, Lisa, but I had just returned from a trip by air to Vancouver and didn't get asked at all for proof of vaccine. I had to, you know, tick a box to say that I had been vaccinated, but I didn't have to physically show anything. Is it your expectation if I'm coming back into Canada, will I be asked no matter what to show that paper or is it more of a spot check situation? So the proof of vaccination, along with PCR tests, um, will need to be uploaded in ArriveCan. So ArriveCan is the mandatory uh, require is a mandatory requirement whether you're flying or driving, and that information needs to be uploaded uh, into the ArriveCan app. Officers will be verifying ArriveCan information that has been uploaded by uh, the traveler. Lisa Laurencel, Peace Acting Executive Director with Canada Border Services Agency's Prairie Region, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Lisa, thank you very much for this. We appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Have a good day. And uh, one of my takeaways from this, Loren, is, um, I mean, it has to do with our question of the day, which is for Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Are you anxious to hit the road and head to the U.S. now that the land border has reopened? Yeah, can't wait. I'm still hesitant. I'll wait until the PCR test isn't needed or I'm in no rush. And I'm just looking at the updated results at cjob.com. And so far, 56% say I'm in no rush, uh, followed by 29% who say I'll wait until a PCR test isn't needed. I fall into that I'm in no rush. Like this all sounds super complicated. (laughs) And uh, when it comes to complications, I like to avoid them. And uh, I'm really not in a rush to go anywhere. So In theory, it's not complicated, like in terms of, what she was saying, you, you can go online, you can get that information, you make sure you have your proof of vaccination on your phone, you make sure you have your PCR test. Just that what happens here, and, and this is, you know, we, we've had this, you have this happen when you try to enter certain facilities in Winnipeg, depending on who you get, the interpretation of the rules is not always the same. And I think that's what would have me holding back. Am I going to show up at the border going into the States and get that one person who's like, nope, sorry, you're wrong. You don't have the right stuff, even though I do. Or vice versa when I return, right? Because it is so new. It is so fresh. You can't, I don't have an expectation that every single border agent is going to have the exact right list of requirements for the, at least for the next few days or weeks, right? It's just early days. McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is back next week. Coming up at Global after Global News at 9.30, we are going to speak with Carolyn Clausen from Connexus Counseling. She speaks with Hal Anderson every Thursday at 11.30 on Connecting Winnipeg. But we like to bring her on our show from time to time, borrow her from Hal, and we're going to continue the conversation on men's mental health uh, that we're going to be doing throughout the day on CJOB. Also, Loren, I've just learned some exciting news from our promotions team. Okay. You spotted the announcement at 8 o'clock. WWE Friday Night Smackdown coming to Winnipeg on January... What was a date? January 21st? 21st, yep. Well, we've got tickets to give away. Yes, I wondered. Yeah. I had said, is this announcement going to mean we can give away some sweet SmackDown tickets? What other, did they still do like the flying elbow or, you know, what kind of moves are we talking about Oh, here? that could be one, yeah. Well, speaking of SmackDown, like it was The Rock who used to lay the SmackDown. Lay the SmackDown, yeah. Yeah, the people's elbow. The most electrifying move in sports entertainment uh. today. <laughs> I can only think of things from the 80s. Like, I was trying to remember Jake the Snakes, like the DDT, or who had the, 
Body Slam. I can't remember any of them. Oh, the DDT. Ricky the Dragon, the DDT. I don't even know what that stood for. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was my favorite, though. So I'm going back quite some time when, to have any relative conversation. When he introduced the DDT, that was the most devastating move in WWE. DDT is, uh, I believe, that's like uh, the venom. Uh, from the snake, if I'm not from mistaken. From Jake the Snake. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we've got tickets to give away. So here's what we're going to do. The text messages you've been sending us on your uh, border stories, your road trip stories, the winner of that gets the SmackDown tickets. But we do still have uh, an announcement for another show coming up after Global News at 9. So we'll give those tickets away as well at some point this morning. But in the meantime, it's Monday. Who do we talk to Mondays just after 8.30? Loren? Uh, we always got to bring on our friend Bob Irving, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, is with, with us now. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Loren and Brett. How are you? We're good. You had a big day Saturday with the game, and then, of course, clocks rolled back yesterday. Are you like, are you as tired as I am this morning? <laughs> no, it's funny. I don't uh, have any really reaction to the clocks hmm. rolling back. As a matter of fact, on Saturday night, I went to bed, and I didn't even change my clock. I just got up after eight hours and realized it was eight o'clock. Well, no, it's really seven o'clock, so that's when I changed the clock, but uh, I just kind of rolled through it. It never has much of an impact on me. I know it does with a lot of people, though. So You're a rebel. <laughs> I woke up and I thought, did the clocks change? I can't, I'm not sure because uh, they, the phone just does it automatically. So I had to, to double check. Is it 6 a.m. or is it 5 a.m.? No, it's 6 a.m. And I didn't uh, feel any benefit from the extra hour of sleep. So boo earns to that, Bob, but certainly not boo earns to the Blue Bombers who continue to roll along, along quite nicely. Well, it just uh, you wonder when it's going to end, and, and maybe it never will. Uh, they won again on Saturday against Montreal, and this is one of the toughest games that they had all season. And the players were, after the game, saying this was a good thing to get a little bit of adversity. Head coach Mike O'Shea said the same thing. The Bombers were down in the third quarter, 21-14. And as the game is going along, these thoughts creep into your mind, and I'm thinking, my gosh, are these guys actually, could they possibly lose a game? Uh, but no, they couldn't. Uh, they came along and tied the game. And then when we get to the fourth quarter, uh, they just take over. The final score was 31-21. They outscored Montreal 10 nothing in the fourth quarter. They've now outscored their opponents by a mind-boggling 116-6 to in the fourth quarter of their games this year. They've won nine in a row. They're 7-0 and at home. It just goes on and on and on. Uh, we give Montreal a lot of credit. They put up a, a stubborn fight on Saturday night, and I expect they'll do the same on Saturday when they play the rematch in Montreal. And that one's going to be uh, very interesting because we have a feeling that uh, head coach Mike O'Shea will do some experimenting with his lineup and maybe you know rest some of his top players. And so that could work to Montreal's favor. But... Uh, I don't know. I've never seen a season like this where uh, the Bombers just keep winning and, and not just winning, but playing so impressively in all areas of the game. Yeah, and you talk about the fourth quarter and the points, but the shutout in the fourth quarter, and that's uh, been a theme too, Bob. Yeah, that's right. They just, uh, you know, once we get to the fourth quarter, Doug Brown, I think, said to me when we got to the fourth quarter, oh, we may as well just shut it down now. The game's over because nobody's going to score a point in these guys in the fourth quarter. We can just sit back and watch it unfold and he was right uh, i don't know if they can keep doing that but uh, they've done it for 12 games so far so why not right now the bombers of course have had trouble with place kicking this year 
Was there a sense of, oh boy, here we go again, when Sergio Castillo missed that field goal in the first half? No, I don't think so, Brad. He was 3 of 4 on the night, and he did miss a relatively short one, but uh, he's a proven commodity. 87% field goal percentage during his CFL career. He was over 90% in 2019 when he last played in the league. So I think there's a sense, uh, certainly I know among the Bombers, that their issues are solved with Castillo. And, you know, a kicker is going to miss a field goal every now and then, but. Uh, you know, he did make a long one later on. And so, no, I don't think there's any concern about that anymore. Let's switch to hockey for a second, if we can, Bob. It was a great game Saturday. Of course, we dominated Chicago. I, right now, one of the worst teams technically in the NHL based on just their record. And then we lost 2 nothing to the Islanders on Saturday. Overall, how do you rate the weekend performance in terms of how they're doing, you know, particularly when we compare to how the season started for the Jets with uh, several straight losses? Yeah, the Islanders are a tough team to play. They play a terrific defensive game, and they don't give you a lot of scoring chances, and they were really on top of their game on Saturday night. I didn't see it, obviously. It was opposite the Blue Bomber game, but I've talked to people who did. Uh, you know, they won on Friday over Chicago. They lost 2 nothing to the Islanders, but, you know, they're still 6-3-2 and two on the year. Their biggest concern, I would think, Loren, is that uh, two of their top players, Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler, aren't scoring. Uh, and they will. You know they will sooner or later. Shifley uh, took a hit in that Islander game, and there's some concern about his knee. We'll find out more about that today, and they play St. Louis tomorrow. And then Connor Hellebuck missed both of the weekend games because he wasn't feeling well. This is after his partner had a, had a baby, their first child. So Eric Comrie played both games and played quite well in both games. So, you know, they're, they're having some issues with uh, injuries and you know, there are some COVID situations with Wheeler and Shifley, and, you know, every team goes through this kind of thing. But I would say at this point, their record is fine, and, uh, you know, we'll see how the rest of this homestand plays out. NFL, the Packers, were on a seven-game winning streak uh, heading into the weekend, but that came to a crashing halt. They went down 13-7 to Kansas City. What is the deal with uh, Aaron Rodgers? Well, Aaron Rodgers likes to think he's the smartest guy in the room, but he's been saying some awfully dumb things lately, in my opinion. Terry Bradshaw, I was watching the Fox pregame show yesterday before the NFL game started, and Terry Bradshaw called him a liar. He just went on TV and said, this guy's a liar. He lied about his vaccination situation. He was asked about it. Rogers was asked about his vaccination situation before the start of the year, and he basically said, I've been immunized. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever that means. He didn't say, I've been vaccinated. He said, I've been immunized. Well, he has not been vaccinated, and that has now come out. And he's quoting all these wacky theories, like a lot of the Trumpers do, about, you know, how dangerous the vaccines are and how you should try alternative methods of, you know, dealing with COVID. Uh, Rogers does have COVID now. Uh, one of the companies that he's a spokesman for, a Wisconsin-based company called Previa Health, has dropped him as a partner. He's not going to endorse them anymore. State Farm Insurance, and he makes a ton of money from them and the commercials he does, reduced the number of ads featuring him on the weekend. So he's losing the room big time. And, you know, he, he, he comes across as this deep thinker, and there's no doubt that he is. And I love watching him play. He's a fabulous player. 
but his position on this, and he's hurt his team. Like, he couldn't play yesterday, and they lost a game to Kansas City that most of us feel they would have won had he been in the game. They lost 13-7, to so they got this young quarterback, Jordan Love, who's hardly played, and he really had a tough time. So Rodgers has put his team season in peril, and then the way he's explaining this off and some of the things he's saying about the danger of vaccinations, and he's using these alternative methods that are totally unproven, Virtually every medical expert will say there's no reason to believe any of them are uh, any good. So he's just, I, I don't know, for a guy who thinks he's brilliant, he's not acting that way, in my opinion. Does it get worse for him? I mean, of course, there's public backlash to this kind of thing. And then, of course, there's others, you know, uh, Mike Fisher, Canadian Mike Fisher, NHL player. I think he's still married to Carrie Underwood. He came out yeah. in support of Rogers. You have all this sort of, you know, free freedom of choice. You have to have, you have to do what you believe. But the, the, the bottom line, the issue here for the Packers, if I understand it correctly, is that he lied about his immunization status. And he, yeah. because he was using a homeopathic treatment that his doctor recommended rather than the vaccine. So that's the crux of this, Bob. Does it, can it possibly get worse? in terms of what the team might do with him, or does it stick with just the backlash and the fallout from sponsors? Yeah, we'll see, Lauren. That's a very good question. What he's done is he's hurt his team for sure, and one of the things that can occur as kind of a ripple effect is you lose the support of some of your teammates. Everybody wants a freedom of choice, and we hear this more from Americans than we do from Canadians. Uh, but, you know, your freedoms only go to the point where you're not hurting others, Right. And we all know that uh, if you spread COVID, you put others at risk, especially older people who have underlying conditions. And how that's lost on people like Aaron Rodgers is just totally beyond me. So I don't know what the ramifications are going to be with him going forward. I can tell you that it will be the most watched aspect of the National Football League in the next few days. Now, Rodgers will recover, and I presume he'll be reinstated uh, to the to the Green Bay team, but I, there's no question, based on what I've read and heard over the weekend, he has lost the support of many people who have been behind him for many years. Hey, Bob, before we let you go, I just was curious, because you watch a ton of sports, um, are there any obscure or non-mainstream sports that you, that you get a kick out of? Uh, no, I would not say any uh, obscure or non-mainstream. I watch uh, most of the mainstream sports, but there aren't really any that that I can think of. Uh, like snooker? Uh, well, no, I don't watch snooker. Snooker's hard to find on TV. I don't know when I've ever last seen a snooker mm-hmm. shown on TV, but that, no, that's the kind of sport that I'd have a hard time staying into. I'm, uh, I am pre- appreciate the action sports a little bit more, although golf's not an action sport. It, well, so it is sort of. Brett, Brett, is golf an action sport? I would say so. Everybody says golf is boring to watch, but if you like golf, then you love watching it too, right? Well, it's action. Right. It's, yeah, baseball's a slow-moving sport, but I like watching baseball. But no, I'm not into any... Any of the obscure sports are obscure to me, shall I say. Right. What about darts? Like, I've always wanted to go to one of those tournaments where they dress up, and I think it's usually in Britain or something, and people just get crazy yeah, over a well, darts tournament. Yeah, because it's in a, usually in a bar <laughs> where they're shooting the darts, and everybody's imbibing. So <laughs> fair I enough, fair being enough. a spectator at that. <laughs> All right, Bob Irving joins us every Monday morning after the 830 News. Thank you for this, Bob. Okay, you guys. 848 on CJOB. Yeah, Lorenda, darts. It's crazy now. Like they have them. They, they, Bob's right. They used to just be in a pub or something, but now they're in like a, a packed auditorium that oh, looks no, like, it's have like a few thousands thousand people. Of people. 
Yeah, yes. they, they come out, they've all got the personalized shirts, and often they come out with, like, adorned by scantily clad women. I'm like, what yes. am I watching here? And have you seen the ones sometimes, like, there are folks in costume, like, it's a giant, like, Tickle Me Elmo guy screaming at the person <laughs> on stage, just like, bullseye! And I'm like, what am I watching? <laughs> I sometimes think I've woken up from in another alternate universe when that comes on TV. It's one. Outside 680 CJOB. I was not ready. Was that obvious? <laughs> I love it. Oh, I think it's shoot. funny. I get so really like distracted so easily. I'm reading texts and I'm setting things up for tomorrow and I hear that music and I'm like, somebody needs to start talking. Like, who's I, doing the weather? We probably should be giving you a heads up, but I feel like it's tradition. When Greg's oh. away, Loren is, goes, does Loren the weather. doesn't play well with others. No, that's not it at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have, oh, by the way, Tim Case won our tickets for Jesse Crookshank. So congratulations, Tim. We have have SmackDown tickets to give away. We just made that announcement as well this morning. WWE Friday Night SmackDown coming to Winnipeg January 21st. There is going to be a pre-sale. Uh, we'll give you details on that soon. Uh, there is going to be... Uh, the tickets go on sale as well Friday, November 19th. But we've got time, I think, for three texts here. So, Loren, start us off with this one. Uh, going to Grand Forks. Yeah, this is from a listener who says, I was 15. I had a hockey tournament in Grand Forks. I borrowed my friend's double bag for clothes. Coming back into Canada, my parents had bought some liquor that they didn't have the receipts for the border security decided to look through all our bags and after the fact when we got home while unpacking i realized there was a pocket i hadn't checked in my bag that i had borrowed there were 10 knives that my friend had left in his bag it was the only pocket of the bag that they didn't pull everything out of needless to say i was very happy that we made it home with no complications and i've learned my lesson now i check every pocket in my bag before crossing and apparently one of those knives was a switchblade oh boy yeah i did that once you left a switch a switchblade no, in your no, bag? No, uh, it was a butter knife. <laughs> okay. But they were like, you can't take a butter knife onto a plane. And I was like, okay. Oh, so they confiscated it? <laughs> they did. Okay. I was just like, that was stupid of me. I probably should have checked my bag. Yeah, fair enough. Well, and you'll see what happens with our winner. But Rick is our runner-up here. Rick says, in the early 80s, my friends and I, we frequented a place called Meda just across the U.S. border in North Dakota on Highway 31. It was a popular bar slash steak place, usually filled with Canadians. My bowling team decided to celebrate the end of our bowling season at this bar. We enjoyed our steaks and many refreshments, many refreshments throughout the course of the evening. My friend John was particularly, shall we say, spirited and bought a bottle of vodka to enjoy later. His plan was to not declare his purchase at the border and hide it in the glove box. He said, they'll, they'll never check there. Well, the customs officer came to the window and asked if we had anything to declare. John says no. First thing the officer asks, can you open the glove box, please? <laughs> so reluctantly, John opens the door and his 26-ounce bottle of vodka slowly rolls out and lands on the floor. Needless to say, we were busted and interrogated for about an hour. Fines were paid. The vodka was left behind for someone else to enjoy, and we were on our way home. Oh, that from Rick Fizard Fair. Rick, that's a tough one. To, that's a good runner-up, but... This next one had us both in hysterics. I can't I can't even believe this one. Our cross-border story starts off with a group of 50-year-olds getting concert tickets to see Pink Floyd, The Wall, in Las Vegas. 
flying out of Grand Forks. We arrive at the border in two vehicles. We're in the second vehicle, watching as the first vehicle gets directed to pull into the garage. We're next, tell the Border Patrol that we're with the vehicle in front of us, so we get directed into the garage for further inspection. We're told we're good to go, but we leave the other vehicle behind still being expected, inspected. Time is of the essence as our flight leaves in a couple hours. We finally meet up and head to the airport. The delay was because one of the guys had forgotten that years back he had left a half a marijuana joint in the passport, <laughs> which the officer saw. Fortunately, they were allowed to travel on getting to see one of the best concerts ever. I can't even believe that. Like, <laughs> like yeah. you didn't flip through that thing before you handed it over? He says he hadn't used his passport in years. <laughs> <Well>, obviously. <laughs> and when he opened it, it was just sitting there. <laughs> I'm hoping it looked like, you know, when people used to dry flowers, like you'd press a flower in a book. That's the only way to get away with that. Because otherwise, if it looks like it's about to ready to roll, so to speak, yeah. you're not getting away with that. <laughs> Mike, congratulations. You're going to SmackDown. McGarry and McNabb, Mackling is back next week. Reminder that our question of the day at cjob.com has to do with the border. It is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Are you anxious to hit the road and head to the U.S. now that the land border has reopened to non-essential travelers? So far, we've got 56% who say I'm in no rush. 31% say I'll wait until a PCR test isn't needed. 9% say, yeah, I can't wait. And 4% say I'm still hesitant. So cast your vote, cjob.com. We've thrown that up on Twitter as well, at 680CJOB. But right now, we want to continue the discussion on men's mental health. And in case you're just tuning in this morning, uh, we actually started this on Friday. We were discussing times when friends had our back. And it was one of those situations, Loren, where like we thought the show was going to go one way and we planned for it to go one way. You know, We thought this is going to be a fun topic. And then Greg recalled a time when his friends showed up and dragged him out golfing because he was going through a dark time. He'd recently lost his mother, and he wasn't sure how he was going to get by. Uh, he ended up having a super fun day with his buddies, and he's grateful for his friends. And then that made me think about how this just this past July, I revealed to some friends that a couple of years ago, I was battling depression, and I almost ended my life. And I'm grateful for how accepting they were in learning that information, how I was able to say it without feeling ashamed. So if you want to hear those full stories, uh, you can find them in the audio vault, cjob.com. Greg's story was Friday at 6.54. Mine was at 7.16. Or you can hear them in the podcast for the start. We talk all the time, Brett, about you know trying to normalize things and make it so that people don't feel that shame for whatever reason it is. So it's so tremendous that you and Greg... We're so open about this. And so, again, as you mentioned, you can hear it on our podcast for the start. And and now we want to hear from someone who's also pretty special in our CJOB family because, of course, we have a number of friends who are mental health professionals. One of them is Carolyn Clausen from Connexus Counseling. And she, of course, speaks to Hal Anderson on Connecting Winnipeg every Thursday at 1130. But we like to borrow her when we can from Hal. And so we say good morning to Carolyn. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Loren? It's good to talk to you too, Brett. Yeah, it's nice nice to have you on. And, you know, Brett mentioned that we're talking about men's mental health. But, of course, the conversation, I think, is so valuable for everyone. But we are curious. We, we talked about it just about 40 minutes ago, whether or not 
Do you, in your experience and in your profession, Carolyn, do you see a difference between the way men or women might come to you or approach the conversation around mental health or even whether or not there's a difference between genders in terms of having a harder time discussing mental health? I think there is. And I would like to think that we're working towards a world where those differences won't be as uh, different, as noticeable. Um, But I don't think we're there yet. And so what I notice is that there's so much of in our culture, you know, in Disney movies, there's a sort of knight in shining armor. And there's this picture, this image that guys need to be strong and capable and look like they have their act together all the time as a part of being what we define as a as, a, as an effective male or a strong male. And I think what I heard when I listened to, I went to the vault and I listened to Greg and Brett talk about their experience um, that, as they shared on Friday. And what I heard was a different sort of strength that was beautiful and incredible as they shared with their friends really hard times. And so I'm hoping that we're going to define and redefine what strength in men looks like as we continue to move forward in our world. So, On that subject, if someone is dealing with something, but they don't know how to talk about it, or maybe they were raised with that old school mentality, the whole man up mentality, boys don't cry. um, How can we help that person break out of that? Well, I think part of the way that we move through this world is rather than tell people, this is what I want you to do is to show people this is how I'd like us to be. And so, Brett, I think when you talked on Friday, you said, my guys and I, we normally just play golf and, you know, joke around a lot. But then you dared go there. Um, and you just named a hard time as hard, which, of course, a hard time is hard. There's that, that should just be kind of a normal thing. And you let it be a normal thing. And you showed your friends that we can talk about hard stuff and we don't have to shame each other. We can just be there and support, be in support of each other. And so I think as uh, one guy models to another guy of I'm willing to just talk about my life, the good, the bad and the ugly and have it be okay, that when we model that to each other, we will start to create a world where that becomes more and more acceptable. So you want people to speak up more, which I think is, you know, putting up their hand and saying, I need help or admitting when they're down. And then on the other hand, when we talk about showing support, Carolyn, how can we do that? Because I think we all know too often people, it it feels like it's too hard of a conversation or it's too hard to approach the grief someone might be feeling with or that, you know, that dark place that they're in. And so we sometimes we just avoid it because it's easier on us. So if I'm in that circle and those friends and I hear that that's what's going on with someone I love and care about, what should I do next? How do I keep that support going? Well, I think that's a great question, Lauren, because often it's at those moments when someone shares something really tender with you, there's this like uncomfortable feeling of, I don't know what to say. I might say the wrong thing. And so people either say nothing, which feels really awkward and leaves a person hanging and there's sort of no safety net to kind of catch that person's important revelation. Or people deal with their own discomfort by sort of bringing it up and making very light of it. So people go into sarcasm or teasing, which is meant to be sort of getting a person over an awkward moment, but it really does is is it shames the other person. And so I think the important thing to do when somebody shares something tender with you, when a guy shares something tender with you, is to say, I'm just really glad you told me that. And uh, I, and sometimes people might even say, I don't even know what to say because I don't know what the right thing is to say, but I'm so glad that you told me. And that that conversation just can continue very naturally where you honor what the other person says from just a very real place inside of you. If you don't know what to say, say that. If you're grateful, say that. 
um, that you just continue to be yourself in a way that holds their tender feelings in a way that says, I'm really glad you're my friend and I am here to support you because that's what friends do. Our guest is Carolyn Clausen. She's from Conexus Counseling. And we're talking about men's mental health. Of course, it's November. Men's health issues is the, the cause. And uh, the, one of the primary focuses this month is mental wellness and suicide prevention. What if you have somebody in your life, Carolyn, and you know, you know they are dealing with something, you know they're depressed or they're grieving or whatever, but they just don't want to talk about it. What can we do I mean, we can't force them to speak, So, how, but we still want to support them. So what, what can we do to show them other ways of support? Well, I, I love what Greg said when his mom died, that his friends came along and said, we're going golfing, right? That sometimes it's not about looking eye to eye across the table, very intensely talking about the deepest, darkest moments. Sometimes it's saying, I'm just going to be here with you. So we're going to go do something and we're going to hang out together. And if you want to talk, great. If you don't, that's okay. But we're going to spend time together. And so I think you need to seek permission. The other person gets to decide how much they want to share with you. But I think it doesn't matter if they don't want to talk to you. You can still be a friend to them in a way that's meaningful to them, where you hang out or you stop by, bring them a Starbucks, um, drag them out for a beer to watch the game, that you still hang out and you be with them. Um, And you allow, you know, sometimes when you're driving home um, and both of you are looking out at the road, that's when a person might say, this is what's going on in my life, because that's when it feels safest after a time when you've just been together and you don't actually have to look at each other, that a small comment might, you know, leak out and then you say, oh, I'm really glad you told me and, you know, I'm here for you. And that can really sustain a person. And when they're struggling, you're not trying, you can't fix it. What you just want to do is come into that space and let them know that you're there. And as you share the load, they will feel a little better without you needing to fix anything. It's not your job when you're a friend to fix their problems. It's just your job to sit with them in their feelings. One of the things I think we take for granted too, Carolyn, is we assume someone else will deal with it. You know, you make that assumption, well, they have this person in their life or a friend who's closer than me or family. And one of our listeners texted to say they ended up in Victoria Hospital with mental health issues and the doctors and nurses there saved their life. But they wanted to point out that they realized many people like them in hospital don't have family to lean on to support for support, right? And many of us might assume, well, somebody else will help them out or they have a closer member in their life. It could be anyone who puts that hand out and says, I'm here for you. Right. In the 1980s, when you asked people, how many people do you have when you're in a time of crisis that you could call kind of on speed dial? And the mean number, the most common number that was stated was four. When they redid that research, um, you know, in the last couple of years, how many people can you call on in a crisis? The most common number that was named was zero. And so, so many people don't have somebody that they can call when they're in a time of difficulty. And so I really think it's important for us. Um, My husband, he gets together with a group of five other guys every Friday morning, has for 20 years. And so when he hits a rough spot, he can call any one of those guys and they're there for him. One of his buddies says, um, calls him, these are my carry my coffee, carry my coffin friends because they have carried me through life and they will carry me in death where these are the guys that they're just there for each other. Often they talk about cars or the jets, but when somebody's going through a difficult time, when somebody 
partner's got a cancer diagnosis or something, they can get real serious real quick because they are there for each other. And I think it's important for us to have those people in our lives to seek out friendships and to know that when you ask somebody, do you need a friend? There's a fair bit of chance that they're going to say yes, because there's a lot of people in our city that are lonely and don't have somebody to call on in a crisis. Carolyn Clausen is with Connexus Counseling. She joins Hal Anderson every Thursday at 1130 on Connecting Winnipeg. And she joined us live this morning on The Start. Carolyn, thank you. It's always a, a pleasure and a privilege to speak with you. So good to be with you guys. Thanks so much. And once again, if you are dealing with a struggle, if you are having a tough time and you need help, you can contact the clinic crisis line at 204-786-8686. That's 786-8686. Crisis Services Canada, 1-833-456-4566. That's 833-456-4566. Or the website reason to live dot ca um i saw another meme going around uh this month loren and it was basically along the lines of talking about stuff saves lives it's really that simple and anything like you know we how often do you ask the question how are you doing and if you don't take the time to listen or hear the sort of the tone the person might use or watch an expression pass over their face you know, you're failing them too, right? Like you have to listen to the answer, which I think you said eloquently today as well. You need to put up your hand if you need help, but then you need to be able to be willing to step forward and help when you realize someone is not doing as they should. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.